Welcome into the Warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The Warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Twitter. Welcome into the warehouse. We're back. I'm joined by colleagues Bob Harkins and Matt Corey. Uh, Before we get into some thoughts with them, a word from our sponsor, Mercer Floor and Home Carpet. They're a third-generation family business established in 1959, located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster in Carroll County. They're the oldest floor covering store in Carroll County, one of Maryland's longest-running flooring businesses. Uh, For all your flooring needs, please contact Mercer Carpet. Tell them we sent you. Thank you. So thanks, Mercer. Glad to have them on board. They're a sponsor for all of our podcasts and then also with uh, our title sponsor for our Pace Setters group. Uh, check out Pace Setters at the site. You can learn more at BaltimorePaceSetters.com. So we're back with uh, baseball talk. It's uh, now January, so we're we're headed into uh, getting closer to spring training. Uh, maybe uh, we'll, we'll discuss that on another on another show. But uh, at the site this week, we've had a couple of Oriole articles uh, getting us ready to uh, you know, start thinking about what the year is going to look like. Uh, our colleague Nick Stevens, he had an article this uh, last couple of days, the uh, start of a series of uh, outlook on 21. Talk about starting pitching, uh, some of the promise there. Uh, Bob, just uh, some quick takes on what, what you uh, saw in Nick's article there. Yeah, really one of a set of good articles over on Baltimore Sports and Life right now, which we're going to get into. Lots of really good information in there, uh, breaking down kind of how the pitching has evolved um, over the last uh, year or so. And one one thing that really stood out to me was the point he made is they've kind of taken this host of kind of 4A guys that they had and replaced them with a, a really what looks like a solid base of guys. I mean, you look at Alex Cobb and John Means and Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer, and you don't, I don't know if you see like the ace on a championship team in that group. I mean, you could, I mean, one of those guys could become that, I guess, but, but you have a nice base with which to build on. And then you have, you know, as, as uh, Nick gets into in his article, you have some other guys on the way coming, uh, Michael Bauman and Kevin Smith and some of these other guys. So you've got to like, just, you know, this is, this is what the plan was, right? The slow build, the, the uh, increasing your base of talent and they've clearly done that. So Nice piece. Yeah, so uh, echoing Bob's fault, thoughts there, Matt, I'm excited. It looks like we, uh, the Orioles have four legitimate, at least I'm feeling, four legitimate major league starters, even though two of them are still just really getting established uh, to enter spring training. Uh, you know, kind of what were your thoughts there? Uh, and maybe uh, maybe looking at the fifth starter, who who most interests you as uh, as we near spring training? Well, I think Zimmerman is an interesting piece. Um, you know, he's a local guy, as Nick pointed out in his piece, which I hadn't noticed. Um, but uh, I, I always like it when guys from a local area are, you know, part of that team. Just just fan interest sort of stuff. Um, I think the thing that stood out to me the most 
is that this is a major league rotation like that we haven't really seen in, in Baltimore for four or five years. I mean, this is a full major league rotation as it stands now. They've got a top four of, you know, cromulent major league pitching. Uh, and, you know, there's guys with upside. There's guys who are just basic mid mid to low rotation starters. I mean, this is not, you know, the Indians rotation from whatever last year or two years ago or, you know, what the San Diego Padres rotation looks like now. But it's a reasonable rotation. Um, and, you know, I, I think this is a, a this year is going to be a great opportunity for the Orioles to see what they have with these guys, you know, right before they get this, you know, influx of, you know, what we hope will be some, you know, more, uh, you know, up, upper rotation arms, uh, you know, Hall, Rodriguez, et cetera. Um, and, you know, once you start to sort through that and figure out where's got, where guys fit, um, you know, then you can do things like go out and, and add a, add an ACE on the free agent market or in a trade. If, if you want to need to do that, um, if you don't, if you can't develop that player on your own, but but I think this is this is sort of the first step of that, um, you know, that process that that we we've been promised, and you know, and it, it's uh, it looks it looks good. It looks maybe maybe good is too strong. It looks reasonable. There's guys that uh, that I'm looking forward to yeah. watching pitch. It's yeah, not right. like I'm not reasonable terrified to watch word. the Orioles game. Yeah, reasonable is a good word, and that's and that's fine. Or like actual legitimate. Right. Major league, you know, quality. There's the other thing that's encouraging. Who's, who you expect to just get destroyed on a on a nightly basis, you know? Right. The other thing that's encouraging is that uh, the, you always need more than five starters, obviously, and the guys that currently project five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's uh, some reasonable optimism uh, with, with some of those guys and particularly at the guys that are, you know, they may not start directly in the majors uh, this year, but uh, they have the ability to come up and uh, help fortify later in the year. So excited about that. Excited that you know, there's a, that'll keep you, can keep you interested as a fan. If each night you're not, uh, you know, looking at the projected starters and thinking, oh, there is no, uh, no reasonable chance to uh, tonight. And, you know, we're going to let up six runs right away in the first. So, uh, yeah, something to look I mean, forward to. Chris, so in the beginning of the season last year, you know, the shortened season we had, the Orioles came out and actually won more games than we expected them to and, and were, you know, remarkably competitive. And I still didn't have a burning desire to watch their games. But at the end of the season, when they were sort of, you know, falling down the standings a lot more, but they had, you know, Mountcastle up and, and Aiken and, and Kramer were pitching. Like those, I actually really was looking forward to watching those games, and it's it's just a different um, setup. Like you know, it's like you're not looking for, you're just hoping for luck on a nightly basis. Like there's actual good talent on your team that is worth your time, and and uh, that's uh, that's got to be a good feeling for Orioles fans. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Matt. Because at, at what it really starts though with all those guys, they have youth in common and what they're going to be is to be determined. Right. So uh, 
they may hit some of their potential, they may exceed, or they might, you know, fall short. But it's it's interesting to watch versus right. guys you versus guys you definitively know are not part of <laughs> of, of anything. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's something fun. That's something I'm looking forward to. Uh, as uh, Bob said, we had a number of uh, quality articles at the site the last uh, few days or in the week, uh, and another one of those was uh, Matt's. And Matt looked at Brandon Hyde uh, and talked about, you know, is Hyde going to be the manager when the Orioles, uh, you know, ever turn the corner to where they're, you know, legitimately trying to win games? So uh, Matt, I'll let you expand a little bit on your thoughts there. Well, so I had this thought about the Orioles, you know, building up their team in the way that they're doing it. And this isn't, it's not exactly the same as what the Cubs did, but, um, you know, but the Cubs, uh, you know, they hired Theo Epstein. The team was terrible. Um, he sold off the veterans. He, you know, took the high draft picks, et cetera, et cetera. Not, not, you know, a, a different storyline than, than Orioles fans are, are used to. Other than, you know, the name is different. Epstein is different than Elias, but whatever. Um, and so when they did that, they, you know, they hired Rick Renteria um, to come in and manage the Cubs. And Renteria was a manager there for two years, something like that. And, and you know, stuck around for a lot of losing. It wasn't his fault. He didn't have much of a major league roster to deal with. And by the time, you know, the, the prospects started to show up, um, and the Cubs looked like they were about ready to go out on the free agent market and spend. Um, and they kind of decided, you know what, Renteria was good for, you know, these guys when they were really young um, and these guys who we ran out there just to hold a spot. But he's not the guy we want to be the manager when we're in the playoffs. And so they got rid of him and added Joe Madden. Um, and so I, I kind of wondered, well, you know, the Orioles are on this this path now whether they'll get there or not uh is another issue but just as a thought exercise what is you know is the guy they have in uh you know in the manager's office right now is is he the guy who they want to be in the manager's office when they're you know in game one of the division series whenever that is um and i i wrote a lot of words on it so i'm sorry about that um but the the thing is I don't know how to, this is terrible. You shouldn't write an article that you, when you don't know something and then still conclude you don't know it, but Hey, I did that. Um, You're posing a question and I think you're going to say, how do you evaluate a manager? And I thought you had a uh, quality list of four criteria. Um, The fourth one I I might've made in the two points, basically how you deal with, uh, effectively, it, it, communication-wise, with with your press, your fan base, uh, and then your ability to voice up both uh, to upper management and below. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. But uh, some of that we're not obviously privy to. But one of the things you do see if a manager each night is them talking to the local press and how they're directly communicating, and they're serving as that mouthpiece really for the for the organization. Um, one of the things I'm always looking to see with managers watching them is, uh, uh, and you know, any kind of leaders, how much are they putting on their own shoulders? They're taking right. the responsibility. Yeah. Are they putting, are they putting, uh, you know, uh, how do I word this correctly? But 
are they moving to blame uh, elsewhere or are they uh, sure. kicking players taking yeah. blame for things that, you know, right. yeah. Trying, trying to, you know, the buck stops with me, that kind of, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Keep, actually, keep, I can touch on that. And I think that's a great point, Chris. And keeping things within the clubhouse and being able to, uh, you know, yeah. move that way. But uh, Bob, uh, what were we, what were your thoughts on Matt's article? Yeah, just really piggybacking off what you were just saying, like the the whole idea of evaluating a manager in this era is so hard from the outside um, because it really has evolved into more of a almost a PR job, almost almost a figurehead type of job. They're like a a buffer between the players and the media, and a buffer between the players and the general manager's office, the analytics office, you know, you like, I think a lot of times now, I don't think the manager's doing a whole lot of player development work. I think the coaching staff is, and then the manager, you know, dips in here and there where, when they're asked to, and then, you know, the managers in a lot of cases are working with the analytics department and the general manager's office to even make lineups. You know, this is what works against this pitcher tonight, tomorrow, whatever. And then the manager's job is to explain this to the players who maybe think they should be playing tonight and aren't, and to keep everyone on, you know, the old cliche rowing the boat the same direction. So unless you're polling the players and and the, the upper management, I think it's really hard to, to evaluate. So definitely inter- interesting thought piece on what that means for Hyde and how he is performing in all these areas. Well, we yeah, were like talking. That. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, Bob, I like that point as well. I mean, I just think it's uh, maybe, and again, we're all relatively the same age and we had managers that we grew up with who had kind of large personas and, and we've seen the shift uh, towards, I mean, we always knew that the front office, they were in charge of baseball operations and effectively above the manager. But uh, it seemed like the, you know, the front office gave the, gave the manager, the players that they were going to use. And the manager had that autonomy to then run the roster, but it now feels like that has uh, a lot of the manager's former power has been acquiesced and that the, uh, that's been the front office is really just running the entire show. Uh, Can you imagine you know, Lou Pinella or Jim Leland or, you know, Weaver being told, Hey, you got to start this utility guy against this pitcher because of these numbers. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, so interesting, interesting there. And Matt, I mean, I wonder if, you know, I think there's probably a couple of things that happen, right. When they're evaluating, do we bring in the some other guy when it's time to win? It's has the, the guy that's been in charge, has he had too many losses? <laughs> or like, does the roster now believe that that guy can be the be the guy to get you over the proverbial hump? Or, or do you do you need another message now that you are you have reached another point? I I don't know. I, I guess yeah. it all depends depends on the um, some of the variables we don't know. The relationships that the the manager and the the front office effectively has. Um, High, just my evaluation these two years. I mean, nineteen, that would have been a horrible job for any anybody. There is no manager at any point that would have 
done anything better. Um, but as miserable as that team and that was, I did think they played relatively hard for him. I mean, it's not always easy to judge that from the outside, but I, I, I some things I looked for, I thought they played hard. And, and this year, uh, we talked about it on the pod several times that they may have, um, exceeded the expectations that, that, that they came into that brief year with, and they were more competitive than expected. So if you're giving out any kudos for that, that and that's something there. So we'll see what happens this year as they take another step. And, uh, as, and then we'll, we'll look to hear more about what his relationship is with Elias in the front office, which everything we've seen so far is that they work pretty well, <laughs> well together, but, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I like the piece. I, I I liked the idea of the article too, Matt. You said it, you know it's not good just to pose a pose a question when without the without a definitive answer. But I, I like the I like that. I like an open ended uh, discussion of just you know bring you know bringing a, a something out there and uh, nice piece uh, overall. But you know, your work is always good. Better than making uh, up an answer like I do usually. <laughs> <laughs> He's out of here. Yeah, fire him. Uh, Our other colleague, Zach Spedden, he wrote a couple of articles. We're not going to go over them super in-depth, but he uh, looked at ETAs for some of the Royal prospects. And uh, I I guess where we can start with that, Bob, is just the idea that uh, there are players that are on the come. And as we talk about being more excited about where where the Royals roster is going in general, there are some names you start looking at the ETAs that – uh, you can see that their path to Baltimore is not too far away, and there'll be more names to Matt's earlier point that'll be interesting to watch, and, and we'll see what happens then. Um, uh, who may have stood out for you in any of those articles there? Yeah, fun piece. You know, you love baseball fans love prospects, and they want to know when the prospects are going to be there and stuff. So uh, this was a this was well, he did two pieces, um, but we're starting with position players, I think. Um, couple of guys he mentioned that I was really interested in. They're not the the biggest names, but I, I was interested in them maybe because he has them, he's projecting them to arrive um, this coming season. And that is the two guys they got for Michael Givens from the Rockies, Tyler Nevin and Taryn Vavra, a couple of really versatile guys who play multiple positions and who have shown, shown the ability to hit a little bit. So... I thought that was that was interesting. You could one of them. Uh, Vavra is not on the forty man roster, so something would have to happen and, and there. He was, I believe he was only in high A in nineteen. Obviously, would have thought he would have. Uh, he was in A ball. It wasn't even in high A. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, low A. Yeah. Uh, but um, but he's bullish on them, and that that got my attention. Yeah, like okay. I'm, I am as well. Just a few things I've I've read about him, and um, you know, hard to evaluate what anybody did in twenty in any of their extended camps. But yeah. uh, you know, the word was that he looked competitive, and you know, there's some thought that uh, uh, he could move uh, fairly quickly. From you know, a number of people have said that, and there is a path for him. So that, that's kind of an interesting name, especially for you know, as you said, you got him back for Givens, and that's a uh, you know, he doesn't have to be a long-term piece to be, to be kind of an interesting guy in, in the near term. So yeah, it's another name on the mix. 
a um, guy who can play lots of positions and sort of raise the floor overall. Like it doesn't have to be a superstar, but um, yeah. you know, like the, the Red Sox recently had a guy like, you know, Brock Holt for three or four years was on the team and could play almost everywhere and, you know, was not great, but was probably league average. And that's, you know, huge when your superstar gets hurt, you get league average production out of that instead of having to pull, you know, some scrub up from AAA or, or whatever. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of value there. I had Vavra noted on my, my little sheet also. I've had this interesting name. Uh, Matt, uh, beyond uh, Vavra, was there another position or we'll just move to the p- pitchers uh, on that side? Anybody that interested you there directly with uh, Zach's estimated ETAs? Well, Vavra is, is, I mean, literally the guy I had noted. Kirstad, who um, I think the very first time, I read if the Orioles drafted him, we were talking about him, and I called him yep. Keston Hirstad. Uh, <laughs> and so now I still have that in my head. So I have it written down now. It's Heston Kirstad. But I think it works the other way, too. Anyway, um, yeah, he's the guy I think I'm you know, most interested in for, for obvious reasons. I mean, I'm going to try and get that out of my head there, Matt. But before <laughs> I... I've, I've totally torpedoed his name for you. I'm very sorry. Um, but... Uh, yeah, he's he's you know super interesting, you know number two overall selection in 2020, and um, you know you really want to hit on a guy when you're picking that high, and uh, you know he's a, a you know college guy, so he hopefully you know for the Orioles will move move quickly. So I'm right. I'm really curious to see how he's uh, how he's going to move. I mean, somebody from bat three reasonable. I mean, sorry, what? Uh, and his profile is almost entirely tied to his bat advanced yep. college bat you know you got to go in and produce immediately if he starts at if he starts at high a you got to hit there and it's really reasonable to end up the second half of the year at, at double a and be not far <laughs> from uh, uh you know a path to the majors in i'd be surprised if they started that high to be honest i i would uh-huh. expect him to try to get his you know feet wet and you know low a a? or low a even. maybe i don't know about low a but i mean uh, I, I guess I it depends on their evaluation but start at a high a uh, that that's my that'd be my thought i mean i don't yeah, think I, mean, I, Adam, we'll see. I don't think an advanced college batch start below high a that's you know yeah, my take but if if you start him at, at in low a uh, i mean he better be putting up uh, Matt Weeder's, you know, minor league uh, uh, numbers there, where he'd really just dominate the competition. But anyway, we'll see. It's something to watch. Good articles there from Zach as well. Check them all out. BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Go to the Orioles section there, right at the top, and you can find all the content, including Matt's uh, uh, recent article, which of course is right at the top of the page, uh, top of the site as well. Uh, uh, yeah. Hey, Chris, before you move on, um, just the quick comp here. Different guy, different skill set, different organization, but the Red Sox picked uh, Andrew Benatendi, I think, seventh overall um, in 2014. And he started in low A, um, moved up to A ball, and then uh, the next year he was in high A and double A. And then that very year he got bumped up to the majors. So he skipped triple A entirely. Um, you know, again, different guy, 
but uh, it can it can go you know it can go in fits and starts and and uh, you know it's going to depend on what the organization player winds up their own own respective path. I guess it's just my own bias of just I I don't want to see somebody that was in in the SEC go and it goes top five in the draft going oh, to uh, low A, especially when it, it you're not really looking at his all around game for for development. You're looking, I mean, the profile is he has to hit for power. And I don't want to see him hitting against a bunch of high school kids, basically that are typically in in low A and dominating that, and thinking that's really an accomplishment. But that's that's just me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do wonder if they'll if they'll push him since he didn't he hasn't played yet, too, right? Yeah, uh, that that uh, that's a good point. He, uh, the end of the year, it was rumored he had COVID. Uh, or at least was on the list. He didn't get, uh, you know, he was didn't have the practice time that the other guys <laughs> did there at the camps at the end of the year. Uh, so we'll see where he is health wise at the start of the year as well. Always that's a a concern we got to con- continue to remember here in in this environment. Uh, so turning from uh, the oral discussion, we'll go to the larger MLB talk and. Uh, some a big move today we'll get to in a minute, but let's start with uh, San Diego's moves for Snell and Darvish. Uh, Bob, the Padres, uh, going full bore on uh, trying to capture the Dodgers, right? I mean, uh, so you got to start in your division, Dodgers is the world champs, and uh, San Diego saying, hey, we're coming for you. Yeah, and Dodger Twitter has been amusing to me lately because it's <laughs> You, you, San Diego fans are are too excited, and Dodger fans are way too defensive. Coming off a title, like it's like, geez, enjoy your championship. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Just doing the world. Don't worry about the Padres fans calling it a fake championship. Who cares? They didn't win it. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. In the wake of of those moves, Snell and Darvish uh, going to the Padres, I saw at least in kind of the little world I'm in on social media. I seem to see it in order. Maybe it felt a little unbalanced to me as far as criticizing the Rays and the Cubs. Fairly so, but where's the praise for the Padres? I I felt like there wasn't as much like this low market team with a long history of losing until last year, really going for it like this. Love it. Love, love it when it's team in, in a team taking advantage of these other teams unloading salary. So yeah, you, get, you get into the Cubs in a second, but I, I, yeah. I, I thought the Padres needed, uh, they do need some love for what they did going in. They said, we've got this core and we're going to go augment what we have. Right. And that was, that was great. Um, and I don't mind it for the Rays either. I, I'll just say it. The, the Rays know who they are uh, and they know how they have to operate with all of you know, one hand tied, two hands tied behind their back, but they still find a way. And they they brought back talent and they brought back control. And and uh, I, you hate seeing that they have to do it, but they know how they have to operate in, in their respective worlds. So uh, I respect it. Uh, uh, Matt, what do you think about San Diego's acquisitions there? No, I'm, ex- I'm totally with you, Chris. Um, I mean, it sucks that they had to – you know, that the Rays had to deal their ace pitcher, but this is the setup that they have, you know, I mean, 
partly of their own choosing in a way, right? I mean, you know, could they afford to pay Blake Snell? Yeah, they, they could. They signed to a contract extension. They didn't have to trade him now. Um, but, you know, they got a, they got a pretty good offer. Um, like you said, they got a lot of, a lot of talent. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, the, the sort of funny thing that popped into my head was, I don't know if you guys have ever played out of the park baseball, the, the sort of the yeah. sim game. Like that's totally the way you win with teams like the Orioles or the Padres is you, you develop players, which is not that hard to do in out of the park, um, much more difficult in real life. Um, and you know, then they get to be 28 and you trade them for this hall of, of stuff. And then you repeat, it's not complicated. And that's what the Rays are doing. Um, you just don't worry about what the, what the fans say, you know, what the media says, like you get criticized for it and your rating takes a hit, but you win baseball games and it comes right back up. So it's exactly the same thing that the Rays are doing. I hope that they're doing it for better reasons than that. But, um, but, you know, as far as the, the Padres go, I, I, you know, I agree I, with Bob. I mean, this is, this is good for baseball. Like, you know, we're, we're really fond of using the term, you know, bad for baseball, both on, you know, baseball Twitter and, and even here sometimes maybe I, maybe I use it too much. I don't know, but, but this is good for baseball, you know, like, you know, big, big market teams like the Red Sox and Yankees are sitting on their hands and, you know, you got uh, the Padres being like, Oh, okay. You're, you're not doing, you don't want that. Uh, I'll take it. Okay, great. I'll have Mike Clevenger and Snell and, uh, Oh, you Dar. Okay. I'll take you Darvish. Sure. So uh, in that ballpark, in that division, I mean, yeah. uh, uh, it's gonna is... be fun, man. It's gonna be fun, like watching watching them compete with the with the Dodgers over what we hope will be, you know, a more reasonable size season. That's gonna be a good time. I I'm looking forward to that. Not you know, I live on the West Coast, so um, I'll be staying up for uh, some of these games for sure. Um, well, I'll catch the highlights. I'm excited with the highlights, and it'll be uh... Friday night, Chris. You can stand it. Come on. <laughs> Friday night, Matt is a uh, Dateline, and I'm a fall. I'm a fall asleep by ten or five. He's, but, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it, I, I, you know the Padres were the most entertaining team in the uh, short 2020 season, uh, at least for the most part. You know, and the watchability is just going to be that much higher. Bobby brought up the Cubs. Let's go back to them just for a second. I, I might feel a little bit different with them than I feel about the. Uh, the Rays, Cubs bad have for baseball. the bad for baseball. <laughs> I mean, Fio leaves. They had Hoyer there the entire time. Mm-hmm. We talked about maybe the, uh, during the year that the Cubs weren't as good as their, uh, you know, they're winning the division. But I don't think any of us were super thrilled with, with what we saw that on that roster. But we went into the winter saying, are they going to augment what they have? Or are they going to pull back? So they're, they're, they're obviously pulled back and uh, they're going to retool, but yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say bad. I, I don't feel the bad for baseball part, Mark, uh, Matt. I just feel like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I felt that that trade was as necessary, but I'm, I'm, I'm not see yeah. a big market team acting cheap. Yeah. Straight up salary dump. Yeah. yeah. It's not that they didn't get anything in return. They got two, I think two lower level prospects who have, you know, some talent potentially. Uh, but 
but that was that was we don't want to pay your salary anymore. So here, go somewhere else, which and, is yeah. you know bad. That's bad. Don't do that. Basically, and I could see this, you know, I'll preface this by saying I don't think this is what happened, but I could see it if you think we're a good team, but we're not good enough to win a title. So we're going to add, you know, and our minor league needs a boost. We're going to add some talent, and then we're going to aim higher than barely win in a bad division. That's not what they were doing, but I could see that argument if it if it was. Yeah, good points there. So we'll get to the big deal today. Uh, bad for baseball. Bad for baseball. <laughs> Sorry, Cleveland and the Mets strike a deal. Uh, centerpiece of the deal: Francisco Lindor moves to New York, uh, but also Carrasco uh, going to the Mets, and the Mets send four players back. Um, Matt, your uh, take there. What, what did you uh, see in today's deal? I mean, the Indians didn't want to pay Francisco Lindor, and so they got rid of him. And they didn't want to pay Carlos Carrasco, so they got rid of him. <laughs> but beyond not paying them, do you have a problem? I mean, do, I mean, once you've made that decision that we're not going to pay Lindor what he would get on the open market, and, and this is how we're going to operate uh, – and Cleveland, it's not the mid nineties for the for the uh, whatever the Cleveland's franchise is going to be named going forward. They, the Cleveland football team, selling, I think it is. Yeah, they're not selling Royals. out. They're not selling out Jacobs Field uh, every game. Uh, they're having attendance issues uh, for whatever baseball, whatever you're going to say that their revenue stream is. It's less than it was. Well, maybe. I, I mean, I should preface that by saying that Major League Baseball in general has generated more income than ever, and third-party revenue that has go, gone to the Major League teams is probably offsetting whatever attendance issues that, that they've had. So I think they're probably doing pretty good, and I haven't looked at their their whatever uh, their TV situation is. But – Okay, whatever beyond the salary. They decided they're not paying for Lindor. Do you have a problem with the haul that they got back? I mean, it seemed a little light. Francisco Lindor is one of the 10 best players in baseball, and he's 27 years old. He's a shortstop. He can hit. He hits for power. He gets on base. Um, he's good defensively. He's charismatic. Um, I mean, there's there's not a lot of better packages out there that you, know, you could have. I think the only – you know, though, not to bring this back to finances, but that's, you know, that's the only issue, you know, the term left on his deal and the amount of money that, that he's owed this, both this year and potentially into the future. So, I mean, this, this, you know, I think I said this over Twitter, this, this smacks of, you know, the Mookie Betts deal uh, to me. I mean, it's, there are a lot of similarities there and, um, you know, the Red Sox didn't, didn't or couldn't want to, you know, couldn't pay Betts what, what he wanted. Um, I would argue they should have, paid him what he wanted um and you know i i guess the indians i i don't even see i know the red sox attempted to negotiate with bets and bets was pretty set on getting to the free agent market and i don't want to get all into the bets thing again uh save us from that please but the um but i didn't ever hear that about the lindor situation that you know that the indians had gone to him and said will you sign for 10 years and a dollar 50 and lindor was like no i won't and they're like well you're out of here i mean that's yeah, I don't know if they ever. I don't know if they ever. Yeah, tried. I don't know that they even tried. And, I mean, 
I saw someone say this on Twitter, and I, you know, forgive me for not remembering who, but if if you don't want Francisco Lindor on your team, why do you own a baseball team? Like, it's the same. I can make the same argument with Mookie Betts. Like these these are transcendent players. These are guys who, you know, there's no reason to think they're going to fall off. They are worth the money that you're paying them. They're going to well, go into the Hall of Fame wearing your cap on their head. So it's, um, it's not a guy that you you personally love and it's not a guy that I personally love but this is an Orioles podcast so let's uh or mainly so let's bring it back to the most yeah, recent decision with Manny Machado right yeah which, which is so I there's Machado was on a hall of fame trajectory yeah uh, talent wise and the discussion there and I could have gone either way with Machado and I kind of varied by the day based off of some other things going on about how I felt about the Orioles giving him a protracted 10 year, 300, $350 million yeah. type of deal with multiple uh, opt outs figuring within that, that deal. And it wasn't so much the, it wasn't even the contract, you know, the contract link. It's kind of the main thing, but figuring there were going to be multiple opt outs, I was kind of comfortable with that because you could, expect him to opt out early and it wasn't he was never going to have a 10-year run unless unless uh he fully collapsed and i was fine with the the average annual value too because if it's 30 to 35 million over the 10-year period where baseball revenue is you can certainly build a roster around that you know with with any one guy and not have it kill you uh that's you can build, I, you know, you can build a team like that. But I didn't have a problem with once you've decided, hey, we're not going to do that, moving him out the door. The issue with the Orioles and Machado was that the decision wasn't made the year prior, right. so, so uh, they could have got more when he had further team control uh, uh, out. So I don't know completely the, the situation of Lindor. I believe he's a free agent after this year, correct? Yep, that's right. Yeah. Right. So I don't know if the Mets could have, you know, whatever, if, if they were thinking about trading him prior to last year and they decided, Hey, we're going to have one more run. You know, maybe that's the argument that uh, Cleveland fans are feeling today that maybe we should have uh, moved him previously and got more if we weren't going to invest in that deal. But I think the, the, the big difference that I see between the Machado deal and the Lindor and Betts deals, I'll throw that back in there because I hate or I love pain, um, <laughs> is that, you know, the, when the Orioles had Machado, they were, you know, kind of clearly headed for a downturn, right? I mean, that they weren't expected to contend in the immediate future. Um, and, you know, the Indians have a roster. It's not perfect at all. Like, they, they can't hit very well. Um, they don't have any outfielders at all. Um, but they can turn around in the AL Central and be competitive before the world. They have amazing pitching, and, and they're not in the world's most competitive division. I think those are – yeah, exactly. And so, um, I mean, there is a path for them to win a lot of baseball games, be one of the best teams in the American League, and make the World Series next year, and they just dealt their best player away. You know, the, the Red Sox, you know, similar thing. Um, you know, they, there was a path for them to compete and they decided, no, we'd rather get rid of the face of our franchise and lose a lot of games just to save this money. And that's, I, I hate that, you know, I'm sorry, I, I just do. And then it's like, 
it just sucks. And I, and it's happened through baseball history. Like it's not just now, it's not, it's not the numbers we're at now. Like I, I get that this, this happens, you know, Dave Winfield came up with the Padres, you know, these, these things happen, but, um, but it doesn't mean that I have to like them. And um, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. So Bob, maybe the flip side uh, star goes to leading media market in the country and the Mets have a chance to be uh, pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're beyond this deal. It looks like they're the perceived favorite to side in George Springer as well. And if they land Springer, that's a pretty strong uh, uh, lineup, particularly for the, for the national league uh, up, up and down. Um, but, and I, and just in the near term, I like Carrasco going to them as well. So yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, general thoughts of where the Mets are, you know, more yeah, I interesting mean, I, I suppose there'll be a point where I'm like, ah, dang, big market New York team dominating everything. But right now, to me, because it's the Mets and not the not the Yankees, it's exciting to me. I love seeing a, a team. You know, that fan base has gone through a lot themselves, and now they've got this owner who's just like, we yeah. have fun, and he is, and yeah, they added one of the top, what, two or three shortstops in baseball. They added Carrasco to a rotation that has DeGrom and Stroman and Lugo and eventually Syndergaard. And, and yeah, and they need a center fielder, and it looks like they might be the leader leader there to add a really good center fielder. So good for them. Good for Mets fans. Yeah, it was, really it was with uh, Matt's point, right, of uh... – you know, why do you own a team? And it's a, right. and it's a different question, frankly, for every fan base uh, and every ownership group. And some of them are not out to compete. I mean, that's just pretty clear. Uh, but the guys that, that are, um, it's also clear, <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that they will, but it, it makes for, it uh, makes entertaining. And I, you know, I, I respect the idea of of that. Of uh, I mean, I haven't had it in Baltimore for. Uh, I mean, Angelos had that reputation in the early '90s uh, when he took over. That he, you know, they did spend at the top of the at the market at the time, and they uh, he kind of, you know, he had a reputation for meddling uh, for a long time and wanting to, you know, <laughs> be involved. And they did make several acquisitions, but 20 years on now, he's been uh, removed and now his sons are operating and it's another strategy. So it's interesting just to see, you know, other markets and how they operate in ownership groups and some of their thoughts of, of, of how they want how they want to be perceived and what they what they want to do with their fans, you know. Sometimes I forget about that in my own world of of following the Orioles and other teams have other ways of operating. So interesting to watch them. Uh, just the one word uh, I didn't mention who was going back. So uh, Jimenez, who was the Mets number three third prospect in nineteen. Wolf and Green, both second-round picks the last two years, and then Rosario, who did have a productive 2019 as a 23-year-old. So it wasn't an overwhelming package back, uh, to Matt's point, but 
Cleveland did get a fair amount of team control and uh, two guys, particularly in the middle infield, that can help uh, pretty much in the immediate and then two high, higher ceiling type of flyers. And so uh, not bad, less than they would have got if they would have traded him a year ago, but I guess they did try one more time in, in 20, so maybe you don't fault the uh, – Maybe you don't fault them for trying one more time to, to win, but a larger question. Um, I bet neither one of you can name one outfielder who is projected to start for the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't have a clue. <laughs> uh, trying yeah, to think of just one who's been on the team recently. <laughs> Yeah. To be fair, to be fair to myself, though we only played the East uh, this year, so I, you know I didn't see the. No, that's pretty. I mean, it's bad. hard. It's hard. I you know yeah. I, that's why it's funny. Uh, it, Daniel, according to roster resource on Fangraphs, Daniel Johnson Johnson is their starting projected to be their starting right fielder. Their starting center fielder is projected to be Bradley Zimmer, and their starting left fielder this is the only guy that you might have known probably Josh Naylor, um, who they got last year from the Padres. Um, Zimmer was a first round pick recently, apparently. Um, the first two I guys that you created on, uh, out of the park. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go with Grady Sizemore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Zimmer was a first round pick in 2014. So never mind. He's 28. So he's garbage. <laughs> no, no offense to his parents. I'm sure he's a wonderful human being. It really is sad. This sort of slow dismantling of that team. I mean, they won their division in 2018. Yeah. That's forever ago, Bob. You can't compete anymore. I know. I know. (laughs) Uh, Any final thoughts, uh, gentlemen? Anything else that we didn't touch on tonight? Well, then, thank you for joining us for the first uh, Warehouse of 21. Fun to talk baseball again. Uh, Bob and Matt, thanks, uh, as always. Join us, BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. And, again, uh, go – if you have any flooring needs, uh, check out our sponsor, Mercer Carpeted Floors. Thank you. There you go. <laughs>